This week on Out Now with Aaron and Abe, we're talking Spiral. You guys talking Spiral? Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not able to be here. He was called away uh, very, very recently, which is which is a shame. I was, I was looking forward to seeing his thoughts on this one. But out He's now, in a trap. He, exactly. <laughs> he wants to play a game with somebody else. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies via mostly spoiler for your review, the occasional commentary track, or some other film movie topic. This is episode 451, 451. And uh, this week we're talking Spiral, colon, from the Book of Saw. Do you call it from this book? Do you add that, or do you just say Spiral? I've just been saying Spiral. <laughs> You're not adding from I've been the Book of Saw? Not, I've been calling it uh, Spiral from the Book of Defund the Police. <laughs> that was a very catchy slogan during the filming they didn't do this past year when they made this movie since they made it two years ago. Um, but um, joining joining me to discuss Spiral, uh, we have from Cal State Fullerton. He's been called desperate, the organ donor, and Jiggy Jiggy Seesaw is Professor Mike Dillon. Hello, Aaron. <laughs> How are you doing? Those are indeed my aliases. <laughs> all of those. All three of also, them. Also, uh, incidentally, I'm coming to you from my basement storage facility, which, funnily enough, is also called Vincent and Jules. <laughs> there you go. Did, were you able to catch that reference the first, second, or third time? I think I was, I think I was right away. It, uh... It worked out. But they went for references in this. Anyway, hi. <laughs> Mike, hi. Glad, glad to have you here. <laughs> um, looking forward to this. We uh, The last time we convened over a Saw movie was, of course, 2017's Jigsaw, where the two, the, the, you and I spoke at length about that film and its, and its many flaws. See, and now we're back with another Saw movie to get into. Here we go. Yeah, I think I recall our discussion uh, going into deeper territory than maybe the film merited so we'll, we'll have to see if we manage the same yeah this I, one i will say up front that while mike and i will talk about the film and we'll review it as thoroughly as we need to uh, there will come a point where i think we'll get into spoilers because why not it's a saw movie and there tends to be things that happen that require certain kinds of conversations so just be aware if you plan to listen to this conversation about spiral there will be talk about things that happen later on in spiral um all right by the way, let's do some show notes real quick. First up, new commentary track. Mike, what if I told you that they made a prequel to Hannibal, to Silence of the Lambs and Red Dragon and all that, and it was called Hannibal Rising? Well, what would you say to that? I would say what? <laughs> well, that sounds it, like a meal. In fact, that did happen. In 2007, there was a prequel to Hannibal, the Hannibal films called Hannibal Rising, which of course was the concluding chapter in our commentary series covering the Hannibal Lecter films. Yes, we talked about the not very well-remembered Hannibal Rising. Uh, Scott, Brandon, and Yancey were all on with me to talk about that film. It was a fun commentary track as far as getting into that film, as well as just the the kind of cinematic atmosphere going on around that time. Um, And you can find that in all the Hannibal commentaries, um, as well as our shows on iTunes. Um, you can, you can, at the same time, you can search, uh, for our show at Not There in a Name and uh, give us a rating and review, which would be, uh, wonderful. Uh, why did you, why did you pick that one of all films? Well, we did all, we did all the Hannibal films. You did the animals? We did. We start in January. <laughs> we start, we did, we did Manhunter. Then we did Silence of the Lambs, Hannibal, Red Dragon. And of course we concluded with, you know, what many are not saying is the best chapter of that whole franchise, which is of course Hannibal Rising. Um, be obligation mike is the answer to your question that's why so you're just you're being completist yes and and now i've completed it 
and we can all move on with our lives is the basic takeaway from talking about Hannibal Rising. Um, but yeah, that was a, uh, it was fun. It was, it was fun to do all of those films. And yes, some of them aren't as good as others, but we still had a lot of fun having the conversations. So yeah, uh, let's see what else. Uh, Summer Gamble. It is back after taking a year off from the Summer Gamble. There are going to be movies at the box office this year, which means that we're going to do it again. And this year we're taking it worldwide. Uh, we, I've already assumed, we have our contestants. Dave and I have picked our top 10 films of the summer as far as the worldwide box office. And we have plenty of other uh, frequent guests of the show that have participated as well. So that's going to be fun. We're going to record an episode covering all of that uh, very soon. But just be prepared for constant updates about what's going on at the box office, the worldwide box office, uh, as far as through these year's summer movies go. So yeah, that's all happening. Okay, let's uh, let's get into it. Let's uh, let's uh, move on. Let's get to some out quickies. TM. Um, each week, now we we talk about what we do with the week. Those are out quickies. TM. All right, Mike. What other movies have you seen recently? Uh, can I rattle off some titles? I've seen a bunch. Yeah. <clears throat> so I saw Profile. Uh huh. Which have you seen this? I did. So Profile is one of these computer screen movies. Uh, of which Searching is still by far the best one. Um, you, you should cover that on the podcast, actually. Uh, <laughs> it's This movie is utter nonsense. Uh, and the reviews are reflecting that, too. And so I, I seem to be in line with the gimmick uh, is more or less effective, I think. Or, or rather, it's handled competently, but the story is just insulting and in how improbable it all is. Uh, it's about a British woman who poses. She's a journalist. And she poses as an Islamic convert to try to get a jihad, jihadi extremist to try to recruit her online for the purposes of doing an undercover story. And it just becomes increasingly hard to believe. And she, as a character, she's impossible to sympathize with because she's just so bad at her job. So avoid. I, you know, I liked the movie. <laughs> I, um, avoid. <laughs> I, I do think it, it uses the format well. Like, I, it's less about like how probable the story feels to me and just more of like, I, I'm fascinated by the direction of these kinds of movies as far as how it directs your, 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 your sense of vision, um, mm-hmm. and, and how it, you know, gets your attention, how it gets you even, you know, uh, held, held up, caught in the tension to some degree given the limited formatting required um yeah so i die like yeah i would agree it's not the best one of these compared to like searching but and like i know tim urbeck mendoza he's been like producing a number of these also so it's like this was his mm-hmm. this was his turn at the bat apparently <laughs> he went for it and i i know what you're saying as far as the ridiculous story and they really are using the based on true events to kind of milk that as far as it can go uh to like give, well, it, a, give it a sense of cover i guess as far as like yeah this happened kind of here's a movie <laughs> I'm with you. The 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 central sort of conceit of these types of movies is how they organize visual information and direct your eye towards certain things. And because you know, if if you're really committed to this computer screen only model, then you have to kind of establish sort of B plot lines and different things going on by having things pop in and out of frame. And that's that's all kind of. But where it collides with the kind of phony suspense of this is just when I say the character is really bad at her job, there's moments when she's, you know, help, help. I need someone to teach me how to put on a burqa. This guy's going to be calling any minute now. You know, that kind of lack of preparedness. To, to be fair, Mike, I think really I think phony. I think most of them are bad at their job is my takeaway from this. So it's, what's got up with her inability to do including things. the including the extremists. 
I mean, they're they're exceedingly good at their job, given that they've they've got a not only just regular civilians, but a, a whole a full on journalist who is trying to expose them to come to his side. <laughs> like, if anything, they're great. They're excellent at their job. Like, get them doing something that's you know a little bit more legitimate, and there you go. You got a successful business on your hands. Uh, I also saw those who wish me dead. <laughs> yeah, I did too. How'd Which that was that was fun. I mean, pretty inconsequential. Bit of a throwback. Yeah, I felt. Yeah, it's like if this had been done a generation ago, it would have like it would have been started. called Firestorm with Howie Long. Howie with Howie Long, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, these movies you need them to be brisk and entertaining, which it is. And if you you know you want it to be anchored in a star performance, which it is. And Angelina Jolie was pretty great in it. So yeah, I had fun with it. I I'm curious if like Taylor Sheridan, the writer, because he. He knows how to have humor in his stuff sometimes, you know, like, obviously it's mostly pretty dark, but like, like Hell or High Water, there's a lot of fun in that movie, right? Mm -hmm. This one has these two assassins played by, what's his name, Littlefinger, um, <laughs> Mayor Carcetti, mm -hmm. Aiden Gillen, and um, Nicholas Holt. And it's so serious with them, and they do terrible things, like they're, but they're also like, almost hilariously incompetent at times at their job, which is being like the best assassins. So I, it like, it got to the point where it, is Taylor Sheridan in on the joke that these guys are like so bad at this or what? Like I couldn't quite put my thumb on like what he was going for with them. Yeah. I, I was wondering that too, because if there was ever a place in which the film could have been a little funnier, it's in the banter between these two guys. And, and I don't know that they're bad at their job so much as, they do continuously complain about how under-resourced they are and how there's some kind of conflict between them and basically upper management and how they complain about the the, the people uh, hiring them to do these things. That, I thought, was kind of wryly funny. It's the Okay, I'll put it this not way. Enough. It's, it's the kind of thing where, yeah, like, if they were good at their jobs, this is not the day you would show me to convince me of this. <laughs> like, this seems right. like there were, which obviously they're the villains of this movie and... I think you can kind of see where it's going as far as if you have one person as the lead hero and these two as the villains, it's going to go somebody's way. So, yeah, I, like, this is not the, the ideal situation for them to be in. But in terms of, like, how they're going about getting things accomplished, like, their brutality is certainly there. Um, but, like, the goal that they have, it just seems like they've handled it the messiest way possible. And whether or not that's due to circumstance or just you know, the sheer luck they've had up to this point has run out. I don't know. What to, <laughs> I didn't know what to think. Well, I, there's something funny in that the Gillum character just keeps getting injured. Yes, there is. Right. He's just, <laughs> he's just getting worn, worn, worn. And that down. has to be, and that has goes. to be on purpose. Like, I can't think that's not supposed to not be funny in some way. <laughs> I imagine it, it's, it's meant to be a little bit funny, yeah. but it needed to be funnier. I think the movie itself. I agree with you. I think it's fine. Like it does its job. It's entertaining fire effects apparently haven't come very far which is weird for a big budget warner brothers movie but okay um and um and john bernthal gets like a good scene in here i like seeing a good john bernthal scene i could have used more smoke jumping oh yeah definitely i i was surprised the movie didn't open with smoke jumping uh i also saw the dry oh it's with eric banna right yeah it's this australian mystery drama it's pretty pretty good <clears throat> it's about a have you seen it not Sounds yet like you I, haven't. I have the screen yeah yeah, it's about a cop who goes back to his rural town, sort of a quote-unquote town with a past, um, and decides to sting around to investigate some stuff and face up to his own demons. And and if the way I'm phrasing it makes it sound like some pretty generic cop drama stuff, it is. 
but it's <laughs> it's pretty well done. It makes really interesting use of this very arid Australian desert topography in ways that are interesting. So it's a very regional thriller, which which is kind of fresh, um, even if the story doesn't really go into territory that um, feels all that new. But did, did I liked you, it. Did you ever see The Square? Not the art yeah. house one, but The Square, the Australian film? Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that sort of spate of, mm-hmm. like, Edgerton brother. Yeah, that's Nash Edgerton, uh, right? He's yeah, the director, yeah, I believe. Yeah, yeah I, I, so this is very much in the vein of The Square. Cool. Um, okay, now I'm looking forward to this even more. Yeah, that's it's more of a traditional noir of, like, a like a regular guy who gets drawn uh-huh. into all this crime. Uh-huh. Uh, this is this is an actual cop and like conducting an investigation, but yeah, I think they're they're simpatico. They're they're both. They're Fair both enough. Good. I just something about the Australian landscape, like it, you know, it's a very simple difference as far as where cop movies or noirs are set. But it's just like, well, at least that's different. Like the thing, I bring up the square because like, yes, the noir thing is neat and everything, you know, like a modern neo noir. But like the thing that always got me is that it takes place in December, and so there's a long sequence that takes place during Christmas. During it's Christmas, a, it's Australia, yeah. so they're all just like hanging out having a picnic on the in like a sunny daytime setting and i'm like this yeah, is neat to see yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah this is fun <laughs> um anything else uh oxygen we had a brief exchange yeah about this um yeah we we had a we texted a little bit comparing it to buried yes the right uh, and cool. I, yeah i mean i think i think this movie has a lot of strengths to it most notably melanie laurent's performance so i absolutely think sci-fi fans should take a look I, I do think buried is a bit more impressive to me because it really commits to its single location oxygen gives itself some more breathing room ha, 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 uh-huh. by, uh, <laughs> yeah but it does that by breaking away into flashbacks um and so it's not quite as committed and it also has some revelations later on that really contradict things from the first half i, I need to be careful here because this is real spoiler territory but i think there are some revelations later on that really don't hold up under scrutiny which is a it's a specific problem for a film that presents itself as being pretty squarely in the hard sci-fi genre which is typically kind of beholden to what technology can and cannot do and there's stuff in here that you just call really it hard sci-fi up. when you got a person in a box that has like a magical wand that waves around like it just i mean i i get what well, you're saying yes it exists that there's a certain compared to i don't know star wars like there's a certain logic here where it's like you, if you break certain rules and you're just kind of like giving up it seems but I, I don't know if i was convinced that oxygen fell into this this kind of category i think it leans more toward the 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 nature of the problem the conflict is sort of the limitations of the technology right okay. the rules of the government or the, the rules of the universe are you know the technology is going to expire or the oxygen is going to deplete its and there's nothing you can do other than to bypass the technology somehow the triumph of the human spirit is really not going to be what saves you right mm-hmm. um so just given that that seems to be the set of concerns in the film there are some things that just don't add up um, specifically around the use of phones that that i had a problem with but but That's... this is an endorsement this is an endorsement uh-huh. i did like the film fair enough i think a movies like this and buried and there's probably more than i'm not thinking of offhand but like I feel like if they want to really like get me to give them more than a passing review or like, yeah, that was pretty good. They have to kind of excel beyond the central gimmick. And I I just like, I like both this and buried, but neither of them really do that beyond. They just, they provide good examples of how to use this limited space to me. So like, I I couldn't see either one of them was like really, really throwing me over the top as far as how much I respected what it's doing. As it stands, I just liked Oxygen because it was entertaining enough. I, it's directed by Alexandra Aja, um, who, of course, 
uh, we just saw Crawl from not too long ago, which was pretty like fantastic <laughs> given that movie. Crawl so, is awesome. So this, I do like, because I'm not big on his early stuff that was way more gory, and it's not that I'm against gore. I just didn't like, I didn't like the tone of those movies, like High Tension and his Hills Have Eyes remake. Um, so like, I between this and Crawl, and it's not like Crawl was bloodless, but it seemed like it relied more on the tension and the suspense of the scenarios versus the you know the money shots. So like I, I was into this one too as far as far as that goes as far as the, knowing that it was like a Netflix thing I was like I wasn't expecting too much out of a new Alexandra Aja movie so like I got what I feel like I wanted from it I do I did also think the casting of uh, Matthew Almerick as the like computer voice I thought that was clever as far as his Diving Bell and the Butterfly mm-hmm. involvement so that was that that's like that's a fun like casting it makes sense because it's like French so it's a, but still it's like that's a fun casting choice. Yeah, I think also these single location, single character movies also really, really uh, uh, succeed or fail based on whether or not the central performer delivers a performance that you're willing to stick with for 90 minutes. Uh-huh. And I think in both the case of Buried and this one, it, they they pull it off, right? They're, they're both very watchable. They give good performance. It doesn't feel like you're just kind of... It doesn't feel like a drag. I agree, and I do tend to, like... Um dramatic ryan reynolds more than comedic ryan reynolds so like yeah that one 100 percent. yeah so yeah I, he's I not was... just doing wade wilson shtick the whole time and like that's the one scenario it's like well that makes sense like it's not like he's being smarmy for the sake of that's just his thing it's like well the character's that way so i get it but i regardless yes i do prefer i do tend to prefer dramatic reynolds so that worked out in that movie and yeah uh, laurent is good in this movie too. otherwise i saw mortal Kombat, which is you know whatever and my big return to a real life movie theater was, of course, Godzilla versus Kong. But you and I have some disagreement over uh, the merits of these monster movies. So. Yeah, I think it's super fun, entertaining, and you're wrong. I get it. I guess. I know. <laughs> but um... I will say, I will say, I did enjoy it far more than uh, Pacific Rim Uprising. You guys should do an episode on that one uh, someday in the future. <laughs> yeah, maybe we will. Um. I've seen a few things. You covered most of the stuff I've also seen, but um, I did see the Djinn, the Djinn, D-J-I-N-N. This is another horror movie. It's based, what's the, what's the origin of this horror character? I think it's, is it Middle Eastern? Is that the the Djinn? The Djinn is a, is a wind, right? Like a mm-hmm. powerful wind or storm or something. I mean, it, yeah, it, it, in this, in the horror, in the horror realm, because there's been other Djinn movies. It's this kind of like, presence that is not necessarily evil or good it's just kind of like there to terrorize to some degree which makes it sound evil regardless this one's also set in a single location it's this boy i want to say you know preteen, boy maybe even younger like nine or something but regardless he's in an apartment um his dad leaves for the evening he's mute um due to his uh, mom committing suicide he just went mute after that and he makes a wish to have his speech back and this entity kind of enters his home and just starts stalking him around this like little uh, like apartment uh, for like 90 minutes. It's pretty effective given the kind of limited area you have, what amounts to a limited budget, despite having this kind of supernatural creature, um, and like how they manage to make that creative as far as I don't know something like it's like don't breathe, but in a much more limited location um, and uh, a little more well lit. In certain parts but uh for like a for like a streaming title that has a pretty like a neat enough concept i liked it i enjoyed what i was doing okay um, the other film i saw was the woman in the window 
this, <laughs> this is the uh, long-delayed uh, Joe Wright film, a director I generally like, starring Amy Adams, uh, Gary Oldman. <laughs> There's like a lot of Julianne Moore, uh, Wyatt Russell, uh, big cast, Mackie. big director, yeah, uh, Mac Anthony Mackie, yeah. Um, this movie was, I believe it was filmed like two years ago. It got delayed because of reshoots, then delayed again because of COVID. Then Fox slash Disney sold it to Netflix. And now it just got dumped unceremoniously on Netflix. It's a uh, terrible, it is, it is not a good movie. <laughs> um, it, it's, it, it's poorly constructed. It's not that visually interesting, which makes it a letdown because one of the main reasons I like Joe Wright as a director is because I find him to be a visually interesting director. Um, it's maybe a low point for almost all of this A-list cast, uh, as far as their performances go. Uh, like, I don't necessarily think Amy Adams is, like, doing terrible work, but, like, the film is not doing anything to support what she's trying to get across in this movie. Like, the idea is it's, like, a, a rear window riff, um, with this woman who just doesn't leave her apartment. Um, she, she, she thinks she witnesses a murder across the street, but there's also the, the the fact that she's like an alcoholic who does a lot of pills. So it's like, is she hallucinating this? What's going on? But she begins like harassing the neighbor next door, played by Gary Oldman. And you have these cops played by, one's played by Brian Tyree Henry, who's trying to like resolve the situation. And you just don't know what to think exactly. But the movie is just so poorly constructed, executed, acted. Like this, it's just ridiculous. It's a, it's a really, it's a really bad, no good time. So uh, yeah, don't, uh, don't don't watch that. No, I, I'm relieved. I'm relieved to learn that it's bad because I I read the novel, which I also heard is not that great. It's trash. Yeah. It's just a dumb page turner with very little literary thrift. Um, so I'm not surprised it was adapted into a film just because it's so derivative of genre narratives to begin with. But yeah, so so I would have been really shocked if you'd given it an endorsement, given how like predictable and and just. <clears throat> uninspiring the the book really is it's sort of, it's sort of in this you know kind of page turny women in distress like girl on the train it's in that vein or some it's, of gillian Flynn yeah, stuff yeah girl on the train is also terrible that's the yeah. <laughs> um, but the, it's the kind of thing that makes me wonder it's like if you're telling me this book was already like trash like why did all these people sign on to this thing like i get gary oldman i guess it's like well i just got an oscar from this guy i guess i could come in for a couple scenes like i get that <laughs> that that tracks for me but like what was the appeal for this thing <laughs> like it's just it's bad I, like yeah. it had to be reshot to be clarified like that's the crazy like what's the other version of this movie look like i'm curious to maybe eventually get around to it just because it's on netflix I, I, well no i've already <laughs> put in the work of reading the book so i might as there it, it wouldn't be to see how good or not good the movie is but just to see what, yeah. how they made certain choices to adapt around it because i'm i'm a little surprised to hear you say that it's visually uninteresting because i would imagine there'd be a lot of opportunity to play around with the architecture of the house um in a sort of uh wait until dark is that the audrey hepburn movie yes, it's like yes, it and she's blind in that film but yeah. sort of having sort of multiple layers and stories of the house and to have this woman who's trying to navigate in the dark and it, it seems like the kind of thing that would lend itself toward interesting uses of space, but one would think, not. yeah. <laughs> Again, this is a movie from Joe Wright, a guy who knows how to use space really well. And you're talking about this apartment. You're saying the book explains that this apartment's pretty elaborate and whatnot. I would have loved to see that in this movie. I get, I certainly get the sense that it's a tall building with multiple floors, and there's ways to make that look dynamic, but that's not here like you get this yeah like you get that yeah there's multiple floors in this house but i couldn't tell you the you know 
the geography beyond he lives here she lives there and there's a roof <laughs> like, that's it. yeah I, I i was holding out some hope when i heard tracy letts was writing the uh, yeah screenplay, but... also confusing <laughs> tracy letts wrote the screenplay and it needed to be reshot because it was too confusing <laughs> he's also in it for a scene he plays like her therapist good mm-hmm. for tracy letts no doritos though so yeah woman in the window it's on netflix it's not good uh all right that's on no quickies so yeah let's um let's move on now let's get to some trailer talk we're talking about one of the newest movie trailers of the week what we thought of it when it's coming out what have you and this week we're talking venom colon let there be carnage the sequel to the very successful 2018 film venom starring tom hardy this time around uh, woody harrelson is not just a cameo at the end featuring a silly wig he's in the whole movie possibly featuring a silly wig as cletus cassidy also known as carnage Eddie Brock and Ham are going to come to blows for some reason, and there's going to be a, a lot of things that go with that, or something or other. Andy Serkis uh, directs this time around, replacing Ruben Fleischer, which in my opinion is a giant step forward. So with that in mind, uh, Mike, were you a Venom fan? Did you add anything for that one? I haven't seen the first Venom. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah, so I'm coming into this kind of cold. Um you're right that Andy Serkis directing is is a really intriguing thing, and and just based on this trailer, it looks like he's really leaning into the buddy comedy aspect of, yeah, of this, right. There's a lot of humor stemming from this mismatched odd couple relationship. There's something very Gollum Smeagol about it, isn't there? But so with that in mind, like despite the first Venom being a massive success, the reviews were abysmal at the time, so I never felt any urgency to catch up on it, and I definitely didn't feel any interest in this. <clears throat> until I learned that Andy Serkis was directing, because that's the point at which I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And I, I, I switched from like a hard no to a maybe. And so my one observation about the trailer is that considering that and considering that there are presumably people like me out there, I was surprised that Circus as director was not posted more prominently in the trailer. I would have thought that that in itself would have been a major marketing point. So that's that's a question mark I had. I can see that to a point. At the same time, it's like we gave you a Venom and you guys gave it like $800 million. I don't think you really care who's directing it. There's just more of this thing that you like. And it, and the right. Two, I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the draw is the IP, obviously. Yeah. But... But, and be, but beyond that, like the thing you're speaking to as far as the buddy aspect to it. Yeah. The highlight of Venom, which I which I do think is not a good movie, is this like 40 minute section in the middle act where it's just Tom Hardy l- learning to live with this symbiote that is attached to him which he also voices um and he just does a lot of like crazy stuff so like my hope for this new venom would be that it just basically takes the stuff that pretty much everyone that even didn't like the movie agreed worked which was tom hardy being crazy like they just make that into the whole movie add a woody harrelson on top and there you go like i i'd like to think andy circus can bring something to it i liked his Mowgli movie um well enough i, I and for a you know for a Venom movie, which presumably relies on a lot of motion capture performances, seems like the guy you want to get to uh, direct to something like this. So, yeah, I'm in that kind of here's hoping territory. At the very least, though, it still has Tom Hardy doing the thing that he's doing in this, which is entertaining enough. So I, I just hope there's more of that this time around that and it doesn't you don't need to rely on this origin story to kind of get you to the good stuff. So you yeah. uh I like how you said symbiote. There was a. <laughs> it sounded like you were having some fun with that. Yeah, there was a. There, there, what's her name? 
um jenny slate was in the first one and like in the first trailer she pronounced it like symbiote which was really weird because like everybody that knows comics and venom like just kind of we just call it symbiote right like that's just so it's like and then by the time the movie came out there must have been adr because it was changed <laughs> so it's this kind of weird weird gag now involving the word symbiote uh as far as how to pronounce it which when it just never seemed controversial how to pronounce that word but yeah plenty of symbiotes to go around in this coming venom so we'll see let there be carnage in uh september 24th is when it comes out so all right let's move on let's get the, to the main event which is our review for spiral from the book of saw package just came in. Get everybody out of here. Play me. Hello, Detective Banks. Do you know where your officers are? That should have been some of the trailer for Spiral. We had the final chapter in 2010, but then Jigsaw returned in 2017. It didn't really stick. Now we have this latest entry, a soft reboot that originated from the mind of Chris Rock, a massive Saw franchise fan who managed to deliver a pitch for a new film while hanging near a Lionsgate executive during a mutual friend's wedding in Brazil. Hollywood, am I right? Anyway, Spiral asks... Is that asks, true? Yeah, that's, that's what happened. Wow, that explains very little. <laughs> Anyway, Spiral asks, what if a new Jigsaw killer was explicitly going after corrupt cops, tasking Rock's goody-two-shoes detective Zeke to follow the mystery and perhaps even learn something he couldn't get from his former police chief father, played by Samuel L. Jackson? Of course, for everyone else on the force, it's open season, and many new graphic traps are set. Mike, I am aware you are at least caught up with this Saw franchise, but I do believe you're a, 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 bit, a fan of it. We're... Were you were you satisfied with this kind of re, uh, this reboot of the Saw franchise, and did you think this was the direction it needed to go? I am a big Saw fan, uh, with the exception of the first one, which I caught on DVD some some months later. I've seen every single one on opening night. If you recall, they used to put them out like like clockwork. If it's uh, Halloween, once it's a Saw. year, it's Saw. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I think I mentioned to you before Saw and these sort of classification of quote-unquote torture porn films they featured very prominently in my doctoral dissertation which looked at issues concerning genre and violence so i'm i'm a bit of a loyalist and i do appreciate you know taking an opportunity to go in different directions right to rejigger the formula a little bit things like that that being said oh and there are things about this movie i'm prepared to defend i should say up front i'm sure i'll get a chance to and you know, I, I enjoyed getting to see it in a theater, but I thought it was atrocious. <laughs> okay. At worst, you know what's worse? I thought it was really lazy. Um, it's as if they thought combining Chris Rock with the franchise, which is admittedly an interesting move, um, that they just thought the rest would take care of itself. In reality, I thought it was all over the place. The direction is uninteresting. And, and it commits the biggest sin of all for a Saw film, which is that the kills are lame. I wanted a lot more gore, um, and with the exception of maybe the first trap in the cold open, I thought they were pretty unimaginative. So okay. how's that for an opener? Yeah, it's pretty good. I don't disagree with most of what you said. I wouldn't say necessarily atrocious, but I do think. I'll put, let me back up. I 
I can't say that I'm a massive Saw fan. I can't even say I'm much of a Saw fan, but I ha I am very caught up, and I admire the fact that the series has not only relied on the elaborate traps to create some inventive gore sequences, but also that it's had this ability to twist itself into knots in order to keep this interconnectedness going from the first Saw up to the most mm -hmm. recent film, uh, or the previously most recent film, Jigsaw, as far as keeping a sense of continuity, having recurring characters that matter at all points in time. All of that is just like, well, that's neat. That is that is neat that there's a horror series that's trying to do something in that realm. Um, so, although, although it's worth noting that that's also the the problem with the series because it means you have diminishing returns because uh, among audiences right because it means that every successive saw film is impossible to understand unless you've seen every single one previous so so you're just keeping your fan base which is diminishing and you're not bringing in new fans i think that was part of the undoing of the original series i don't disagree but like if there's only one franchise that's doing that like i don't mind it I, and it's like it's it's more on me to assess the and this doesn't even matter overall because i don't like these movies <laughs> like, that's the, like i only like like two of these saw movies i'm just caught up on it but like it, my i guess it's just i don't have much empathy for the audience at that point it's like if you're walking into saw six i feel like you probably should have seen saw one through five uh, mm -hmm. that's just kind of my takeaway for this specifically i don't necessarily apply that to all franchises yes there, it's possible to make films that are standalone that still connect into or at least could be seen as a standalone or could be appreciated on its own merits beyond just having a connectivity but as far as a horror franchise goes that is something unique that i appreciate about what it's trying to do even if i don't really like these movies that much and yeah spiral is no different i don't like it very much i do agree with you that it's very lazy i think in what it's trying to accomplish because there's clearly a a choice to go from just like subtextual ideas involving basically social justice uh delivered by jigsaw to it's completely the text of the film we're going after corrupt cops and we need to like address this situation except for the fact that the movie doesn't really push that button very hard at all is very confusing by having pretty much the entire main leads made up of poc characters but never address race whatsoever in this movie and the mystery itself is incredibly simple. Like, I feel like anyone that's seen movies can figure out what's going on pretty early on in this film, especially at a very particular point. But like, I was, I was, I was annoyed because from the trailer alone, I'm thinking, so this is where it's going to go. Right. And I hated that. I was right. Like that was, that was my main, that was, that was one of the big things that like bothered me. It's like, it, like I, it seemed so clear to me what was going to be like the, you know the the end result in this and i was annoyed that i was just dead on accurate i hated that and i'm not the kind of guy that tries to guess these things in advance nor do i think that's necessarily the point of enjoying a movie you know finding it. it's just more of i should have some kind of suspense here and i'm not having that and if i'm not getting that i should at least be able to appreciate the other elements of this film and i'm not doing that either because as i said i don't think the thematic plays on corrupt corrupt cops are doing much for the film Part of that, I think, is due to the fact that it was filmed before last year's events, which I think would have made a difference to some degree, at least in the screenplay. Uh, but yeah, it just it feels like it pulls its punches. And I mean, I think it's I do think it's a gory movie. Yes, not as elaborate as some of the bigger or other Saw films. But I do think like the stuff's there. Uh, but it seems like Bozeman, Darren Lynn Bozeman, who directed Saw 2, 3 and 4, it seems like he's dialed down on 
the flourishes that he used to bring to these films as far as like <clears throat> allowing yeah. transitions and whatnot. So it was just, it left me feeling cold because I wanted to enjoy this. I too was intrigued by the fact that this movie had star power in addition to being a Saw movie. It's like, okay, what's that? Let alone Chris Rock, which is such a, you know, that's a different kind of lead to have for a movie like this. But it just didn't go anywhere with any of these like exciting options that seemed to be presenting itself. So, I mean, I got a lot to say about that sure non-twist ending but do you, do you want to jump that far ahead or do you want to go in some kind of sequence here what, let's, what you... go, let's keep let's keep on non-spoilery stuff for now as far as right. where this movie fails basically. So, well okay so here's here's one thing i did like okay. um if we're talking about sort of self-conscious departures from the other films sure this is strictly on a narrative level uh, in terms of the police corruption stuff i've got a lot to say but strictly mm-hmm. on a narrative basis most of the other films have scenarios in which strangers are thrown together in a room and they have to figure out how they know each other. Mm-hmm. Um, here, this is a little bit different in that all the victims are linked together in the story by being cops in the same precinct. So there's a real narrative progression in terms of which ones are going to get picked out next. And there's some dread as to who's who's targeted and who isn't, as opposed to the the the, the other films tend to have these one off traps that you see featuring just some rando who has nothing to do with the A plot. And so this film does have a tightness there that I kind of think worked just on a narrative level. Well, yeah, it swaps the general idea, right? Instead of being a horror movie first and a cop movie second, it's a police procedural first, and then the horror thing comes second. And there's nothing about that formula that shouldn't work. Sure. Um, It just just doesn't. It's it's so hackneyed and, and cliche. But right, it feels like it's all the cop, cop, cop film cliches. It feels like it's going back to what the first Saw film was, which is riffing on Seven, and this is just doing that again to some degree. It's just, I mean, they're not. It's not very good. <laughs> like it doesn't know these. I mean, I, I'm not the biggest fan of the like the the first Saw doesn't rank very high for me in that list alone. So doing that thing again, it's like yeah, you're seeing a lot of cliches because yeah, we've. We've had Silence of the Lambs and Seven kind of gave you so much to work with that all these copycats that have come out since are just like, yeah, all right, <laughs> nothing new here, like not not much to go on. Well, central to all of this, right? Every decision made on this film, it, mm-hmm. you have to think about in terms of like what did the producers think this franchise needed mm-hmm. in order to achieve a successful reboot of the franchise, right? Like that's the lens through which we need to decipher this film. And in that respect, the fact that they thought taking everything that's so bonkers about the soft films and reframing it as a completely generic 90s serial killer film. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, scaling back on the intensity of the traps, not just in terms of the gore factor of what the traps entail, but the kind of intense uh, montage type, fast editing type thing that the soft films are known for in these intense moments. The fact that they thought scaling back the intensity in that way was the way to go is just really baffling to me. What a, what a misfire this one is. You think it's scaled back? They're like they're, the traps are gory. Like they're, they're, they do get. Uh, yeah, I thought they. I thought uh, I thought it pulled their punches a bit. Like the one where it involves dripping wax. Mm-hmm. That that wasn't particularly. Um, maybe I'm just a sick fuck, but nothing really. Nothing really made me cringe or squirm. Um, I mean, there's one involving fingers that I just. There's like shots they take that I feel. It, like yeah. it, it doesn't surprise me that once again they're like we had to take this to the MPAA you know uh, ten times not to get an R rating or whatnot. Like I, I don't know. Like I, 
<laughs> I mean, this is what this is the ninth Saw film. I mean, there's only so many ideas you. Can, I don't know. I'm not trying to give it excuses, but I just the amount of gore on display. Maybe it's just because I haven't seen one of these. And oh no, because I watched like Saw, the which is not a particularly gore of the movie, the first one anyway. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't think there was I, any particular because the Saw films are not about. Oh, well, they're obviously the stories are really intricate and interconnected like a jigsaw puzzle. But mm-hmm. it's also about highlighting these traps, right? Sure. Which trap was your favorite? Which one was was a good one? And and people do these rankings. And there's just nothing in here that really rose to the level of like the pendulum trap from five or or the the pig vat uh, getting drowned in pig guts from from three. And you know, I, can agree, just... I can agree there as far as like. Even with those, like, along with the gore factor, you get to see, like, the mechanics to some degree as well. Like, there's a lot of, like, emphasis on the, not not necessarily how they built it, but the fact that there's just these Rube Goldberg machines that exist. Where this one just kind of like, hey, there's a thing that I guess I built at some point, it's going to do this. Like, it doesn't doesn't let you kind of sit in the fact that these things are taking place. It's just more of like, we're going to show you the gore and then we'll get out of there. Now, Now, the series... The series does this generally, but this film does it pretty consistently, which is to have it both ways and having someone go through the torture and mm-hmm. mutilate themselves to, in order to get out, but then still fail to get out in time. Yeah. And so you get to have the gore and then the big finish, uh, 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 you know, you have it, your cake and eat it too. So That's why the first trap is really the best one in this movie. Like it, it, it does that the best. Because, well, for one thing, it's a slow burn, right? They they, they yeah. figure out what it is they need to do, but they have plenty of time to mull it over as opposed to, are you awake? Good. I want to play a game. You yeah, it just seconds, kind of throws you in. Right? Yeah. Wait, wait, what? Where am I? So you have until this train arrives. Was there anything else you wanted to, you, you, you wanted to defend certain things? Was there anything else going on? Um, uh, I mean. Did you like rock in this film? Well, so we've talked before about this fascinating transitions that some comedians make into horror. Mm-hmm. Um, in that vein, I thought this could have been kind of interesting. But so I was really let down by the first maybe half hour, which consists of a lot of like cop banter, very genre stuff. But that in itself is really just it comes down to Chris Rock doing shtick. He's got a bit about political correctness. Check. He's got his cynical commentary on marriage. Check. Lots of pop culture references. Check. I mean, he's got, I, he's got I a whole tight five on For, Forrest Gump. Yeah, I haven't seen any interviews with Chris Rock about his involvement in this, but it just struck me as odd that he would produce a Saw film, presumably as a way to expand upon or move away from his comic persona, and then just inject so much of his character so gratuitously uh, with this comic stuff that just seemed really tonally odd to me i would I say know, what do you I, think i would say that would be more the case if the film was flipped in its intentions like we just mentioned the whole police procedural versus horror movie thing i think because it's focused on being a police procedural first i didn't mind rock doing his stuff i like i like the fact that the film got to be funny for early in its early moments like it proceeded to be less funny <laughs> much later on like it just wasn't at all anyway but i i wasn't minding him doing shtick stuff because mainly because i thought it was funny for one thing it made me laugh so i was like well i'm not gonna i'm not against this but also just because the film was it was geared more towards the cops and seeing their seeing like a i don't know if you want to call it camaraderie but just seeing like a sense of like them doing a job and it just happens to be in a horror movie i didn't mind the fact that they had like this element going on in it um well i think it i think it should have been i have no problem with it being funny and in fact i think it should have been funnier and what i think it 
completely misses. It, it misses the most obvious place for some humorous banter, and that's in the relationship between Chris Rock and L. Jackson. Yes. Um, not not giving Chris Rock these hack references to New Jack City or or going on about wives are always like this. I mean, that relationship should have been the core of this film. It's it's where all the star power is. It's entirely relevant to the film's themes about sort of passing on the sins of institutional corruption and what have you. And it's it's also what we as the audience wants to see the most, right, which is these two big stars. And yet the relationship has zero stakes that we care about. It's it's really just a big wasted opportunity to make the whole thing just just like more fun to watch. You know? See, I know you're right, because I think Chris Rock's best film performance is uh, Nurse Betty which has him with Morgan Freeman the entire movie. Um, mm. And that's a very fun relationship to watch play out. So like I was, I did no, just because just from the poster saying, and Samuel L. Jackson, I was already like, so he's going to be this in like four scenes. And that's pretty much the movie. <laughs> like he is in it for like four scenes and he's really good at it because he's Sam Jackson. He brings exactly what you expect him to bring in it. Um, I would have liked more. I would have liked more of him and rock together. I completely agree with that, but it's just like, okay, we got this star pat. Like it's just, yeah, I, it falls flat on doing more with something that, yes, you'd want to see in a movie like this. You'd want, you'd want, you'd want to get these two together and have them hash out this crazy idea of oh, there's a jigsaw or a jigsaw copycat out there somewhere. Like, what's going on? Like, I, let alone, yeah, having Jackson be involved in these traps or be, or like be a witness to them or whatnot. Instead, we get, you know, a a scene with them like having actual conversation, along with like a lot of incredibly hilarious flashbacks uh, featuring a very big mustache on sam jackson yeah and... <laughs> that's that's the pro tip for filmmakers right just slap some terrible facial hair and call it a day <laughs> it's especially weird because jackson has like the best wig guy in the game so like he couldn't get a facial hair guy to do this for him like right it just it looked like bad dexter it looked like when dexter like used to be like yeah michael c hall's 15 in this scene why not uh, like that's that's what it felt like watching these flashbacks to rock being like in his 20s <laughs> like wearing a hat backwards and having a goatee like yeah he's young now right like it's just okay <laughs> i will say chris rock looks good oh yeah what is he? he's in his 50s he's, right? he's, he looks... like, he's yeah he's 54 or something like he's he uh, looks yeah he looks great he looks 56 fit. yeah i mean if you're lead of a saw movie yeah you gotta get no he, yes he, he looks good he's doing his job <laughs> uh there is one line that i thought was really funny um i should note it's unintentionally funny but there's a medical examiner Mm-hmm. who says uh well looks like he's been skinned or something like that <laughs> while standing in front of the skinned corpse yeah so i chuckled a bit at that but let's uh let's get into spoilers so like you can talk more about what i assume is your treaty on why police corruption was handled poorly in this movie um so if you, if you haven't seen spiral just know that we're going to talk more about uh, like what goes on um in the, the rest of this movie but uh okay carry on mike where, where, where are your thoughts on the attempts at social commentary in this film well here's one thing i like so i like that the iconic pig mask that jigsaw uses and his various apprentices use uh it's been repurposed here as like a common derogatory symbol against the police right Mm -hmm. that's clever and it points to some aspects that are not entirely without merit right i think the film is interesting and how it attempts to explore some ambitious topics um, concerning the argument, especially that bad cops are only going to be rooted out of the system if good cops are willing to speak out against the bad cops. And so the central dilemma of Chris Rock's character, which is like the dilemma of how far is he willing to go in order to be the better cop, um, especially as a black man, 
in our current sort of public reckoning with Black Lives Matters protests and whatnot. I think that's kind of fascinating. It's my problem is more in the in the execution, right? And I think the biggest problem with this film <clears throat> is where it's BLM police corruption themes collide with this sort of cop genre and cop formula. Um, and more specifically, this film's like really lazy inability to move beyond genre conventions. This, mm-hmm. I think, derails the, its own presentation of themes because Chris Rock is meant to be our avatar for recognizing the need for police reform because he's he's Serpico, right? Mm-hmm. And the, he's the Serpico of the story. But at the same time, he's still a genre cliche because he's not a team player. He's got a rookie partner. He doesn't follow the rules because that's how he gets results. And there's tension between him and the captain. It's like, you really can't tell a story about police misconduct and have your hero himself be a rogue cop. That just doesn't fly, um, especially not in our current moment, sort of post Derek Chauvin and all that stuff. And and there's like a, there's a particularly ugly scene that involves Chris Rock bursting into a drug dealer's apartment without a warrant. He assaults him, tortures him for information, and then like pieces out. Mm-hmm. And this is just so completely wrong and at odds with anything the film is purportedly trying to explore. Um, like that's a scene that's in there because this is a loose cannon cop thriller, but the writers don't seem to have just taken a second to think to themselves, wait, this doesn't line up at all with the films and the particular themes we're trying to present here. I will say that going into this film, well, okay, I'll say this, when when this film was announced and that like Chris Rock had a pitch and they went for it and that uh, they're doing this new Saw movie, that intrigued me because of like, okay, I, I understand that Chris Rock is, you know, he's a comedian and there will likely be like jokes to some degree, but I also think he's a smart guy. Like his comedy, especially his best comedy knows how to mine humor out of very relevant topics um, and like apply that to some way. So I'm thinking, okay, not, so he must have like some kind of pitch that has to do with things I would expect from a Chris Rock pitch for a Saw movie. The prop, when I walked into watching this movie, I already knew that it was from the writers that also did Jigsaw. So, my, my my expectations were lowered because I'm like, well, that 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 had ideas too that could have been interesting as far as making a 2017 Saw film, you know, in the time that we are in then versus when the Saw movies were originally coming out, which is mostly like Bush era. Uh-huh. It's like like how do you let's see that be interesting? And they failed completely with Jigsaw. So I'm like, okay, are they gonna like is the is is Rock's pitch like gonna be incorporated this well? Like what's going on here? Like what is gonna be? And yeah, it just fell on the side of, no, once again, they just kind of dropped the ball when you have all these exciting ideas and you just didn't know what to do with them. And it it does make me wonder if this movie, if like this movie came out last year um, and, you know, things were different, if there'd be a different kind of attitude we'd have towards this. It's not, not as if like there hasn't been, you know, a reckoning as far as how far is things going to go when it comes to police corruption and the effect they've been having on black lives or whatnot. But as far as, you know, this past year has been, it's been a big shakeup, right? Comparatively <laughs> to years, to years past and in the recent years. So watching this movie now and yes, yeah, seeing exactly what you're saying, it's like, oh boy, like there's, there's a giant missed opportunity to do more with this, this whole idea. And instead you're giving me exactly what you're saying. These kind of cop cliches, which a different movie could be make it satirical in some way or do do anything with that. But instead it just feels like they they're having their cake and eating it too. Right. It's like, look, see, we're high, we're putting yellow highlighter around the idea of corrupt cops also rocks this hero cop. And isn't that funny? It's Chris rock. Like, what about that? So it's just like, okay, like 
you got to give me something here. And so again, it's just like that didn't work and everything else around it's not working. So what am I, what am I left with? I feel like we've exchanged thoughts about this before. And I seem to remember maybe we have a disagreement on this point, but Mm. what's interesting to me, what's always been interesting to me about the majority of the soft films, early soft films is that they're almost like insistently non-political. They're mostly concerned with questions of morality and existential dread. And I, I think, you know, the fact that they never explicitly identify what city they take place in or what time period, other than what you can sort of glean from what cell phones they're using. But it's all kept pretty neutral in a certain way, which makes the focal point of these stories sort of these morality plays about actions and consequences and, and, and things that you, it's sort of impossible decisions you have to make um, that are moral in nature. And they break with this in Saw 6, which is about the healthcare system. It's more explicit right? in Saw 6. I mean, I would still like, yes, they're not making not making like a speech out of it in like the first five Saw movies, but there is this kind of beyond just the moral thing. It's like the types of people that Jigsaw's going after. There's something there that you oh, can sure. read into no, for no. sure. I think I think I think the sort of post-industrial landscapes that these films take place in, the kind of use of surveillance. Uh huh. And you're right that the types of, of sins that are considered worthy of Jigsaw's eye or whatever, like that's mm-hmm. absolutely, there's a lot to digest in those things. But mm-hmm. what I'm saying is that the films are really, um, they take care to avoid commentary on larger social sure. issues until until you get to Saw 6, which is which was a very topical move because that's when like the Obamacare uh, discussions were going on. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's a really radical break from the formula because it does move away from um the individual and directs its its criticism toward systems and institutions, which, in my opinion, is at odds with this sort of genre or not genre, but the the the, the saw universe's selecting of specific people to atone for their choices, which is Jigsaw's mo. It's philosophically a harder thing to do when you make individuals pay for the sins of something that's broad and systemic. And so this film's focus on police corruption kind of has the same problem for me, even if I do kind of appreciate the effort to take things in a new direction. I I agree with you, and I think the 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 problem I the problem that it ends up with is yeah, there's no there's no solve to this, and by the end, you know, the reveal of who's doing everything beyond the fact that I was just plainly aware of what it was going to be it, it's just it just lands of kind of a thud because it's like okay you're doing this and this is why which i mean was already obvious so it, it's like what where does it go from here and like what do you try what is you're trying to pull rock into this thing to some degree like what do you like <laughs> it's just like it, it doesn't leave me with much i guess by the end like it, 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 you know you bring in the hello zep theme music and it's, you know, you get all the shots and everything and it, it's supposed to, you know, give you this big uh, full circle as far as how we got here and be exciting and whatnot. Just, but by the end of it, it's like, well, the you drop the ball in terms of doing much thematically beyond, you know, again, highlighting it. And as far as like the reveal goes, it's not that exciting. And then you just leave me with, well, he's, he's going to keep doing it, I guess, or something. I don't, I don't even know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I still get pretty pumped when that theme song kicks in. But uh-huh. in this case, by the time it, it does it here, I was just sort of done with it. Are you and, were and you also were you aware of what was going to happen? Like, did you figure this out? Did you suss out this? So are we are we going to just reveal the twist? Might as well. The not twist. So, so, OK, so he's he's got a partner, rookie partner. Played by Max, Max Minella. Max Minella. Who's why is Max Minella so sweaty this whole movie? Did you notice this? He wasn't. 
I thought they might be doing something about how it's summertime and well, because it's, it's a heat, it's a heat wave, right? They say it's a heat, a heat wave. wave. Well, but if you look around, he's the only one who's like really shiny all the way through. It just really bothered me. Anyway, I, it bothered me that Rock was wearing like full suits in a heat wave, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it turns out he's the 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 mastermind behind everything. Mm-hmm. And this is actually what upset me most about the film. It's unbelievable how predictable. Yeah. This is. And the movie openly telegraphs it to us because he's the only character who supposedly dies at some point, but we don't see the circumstances of his death. It's just nonsense. <laughs> it's, an, it's, the, it's the biggest neon sign the movie can put up there that his death was faked. And I spent the entire latter half of the film hoping that this this would be the reveal that would lead to an even more complicated yeah, reveal. Yeah, right? Because surely that can't be the only twist. And yet, you know... <laughs> It, it's for for a film that hues so closely to genre. It's amazing that they didn't seem to understand or didn't seem to care that we, your your audience, are literate in the genre and we know the formula and we can keep two steps ahead of the film unless you do something interesting with it. Particularly a saw film too, like a, a film where everyone is, every, you know, the fans of this are not only like proficient in film, but proficient in films that are very very much rely on the idea of elaborate over-the-top reveals and twists like yeah 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 it's a massive massive letdown i mean so the two things you know the saw films for if you know anything about the franchise are of course the gruesome traps um but then the other thing like you said is that they all pride themselves on really complicated bombastic twists now the thing is if you actually think about it most saw twists are variations on two things right one is some kind of timeline switcheroo Mm -hmm. And then the other is the revelation of some previously unknown jigsaw apprentice. Yeah. And, but, you know, so, so there is some sameness to that, but looking back, I do appreciate the effort to make those reveals really big and dramatic, even if they're logically absurd. And this is what I mean when I say this film is like the laziest of all of them. It's just how, how phoned in this twist ending is. It's just really appalling. And it's like, I, I guess the, the credit to them goes is like, well, we didn't cheat. It's like, well, yeah, you didn't cheat, I guess. You made it a, like a character that we know. And like, there's no rules broken. It's just boring. It's a boring twist. And it, and yeah, just the, like, just the fact that it's like, yeah, he died last night. He was skinned. We don't need to see his game. Like, whatever. It's like, really? Like, we're just supposed to go along with that? Like, there's nothing suspicious about that whatsoever? It's just so, just wrong in, like, how you construct a film this way. And, also, like, he should have just died horribly. That would have been something, because that made me at least be sympathetic to the fact, although it would be weird because they're going after corrupt cops, and this guy seems like he's on the up and up, but still, like, that would have given me, like, something to, like, I, I don't know, invest in. It's like, oh, no, like his rookie partner with a new boy, with a newborn was horribly slain last night. But instead, it's just like, no, he just he, he was skinned, I guess, and we'll just move yeah. on and pretend like you know everything's. I mean, familiar. I wonder, I wonder if the calculus was based on the events surrounding that portion of the film. This is the this is the section of the film in which we are supposed to be suspecting that Samuel L. Jackson may be Jigsaw because he's missing from the film for a period. Like, I'm not sure what the misdirect they thought they were putting on screen was because it's, it's the most obvious thing in the world. It is. And like I said, from the trailer, I'm like, that's probably going to be his partner. Like that just hit, it's just like in my mind. It's like, well, yeah, there's only so many recognizable people. 
in this thing. And 100%, I was never at all thinking Sam Jackson was going to, like, sign on for three Saw movies so he could play Jigsaw. Like, that never never entered my mind right. whatsoever. <laughs> like, that's, that's just not a thing that's going to happen. But, um... So okay. can you explain to me the, end, the 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 final test that he puts to Chris Rock, which is use your remaining bullet to save your father or to kill me uh, to test your loyalty because we're going to be partners now to root out police corruption. Why is that a test of loyalty? I don't know. And I also don't know what the solve was. because It seems like it was unwinnable, like no matter what it was going to kill Sam Jackson. <laughs> but I guess yeah. it was just to test like, you know, Rock's own thing. Like if he if he. I don't even know, because if he shot, if he, well, which he did, he shot the thing to get his father down, but then what, right? Like, he just, well, he still, he still I, went to beat I, him up. Right? Exactly, right? I thought that, okay, well, if you choose to save your father, you are effectively going to allow the killer to escape. But one, he's able to catch up with him anyway. Right away. And secondly, <laughs> even if he lets him escape, how does that pass the loyalty test? He could be on the radio issuing an APB almost immediately. Uh-huh. So, I don't. I don't follow. There's another thing. Um, yeah, I, I another line that I kind of laughed at unintentionally was um, when the killer points to the spiral and says, you know, he says something like, "That's why we use the spiral. It's constantly moving. It symbolizes evolution." And I was like, "Does it though?" Because I'm pretty sure a spiral is how something moves when it's going down a drain. Yeah, to an end. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it just seemed like such a self own. Did you like that this movie like disconnected itself from everything involving Saw? I'm not opposed to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought like Rogue One, I, I wanted a lot more from it, but I like the idea of sort of going other places, stories that don't immediately involve the Skywalker family and things like that. Uh-huh. And so I'm generally in favor of just sort of doing in-universe building, but you kind of you have to do interesting things with it. That, yeah. while, while also still kind of uh, adhering to the formula in, in some ways more than others. But I just think this this is a colossal misfire. Yeah, that was my issue there. Like I was at first I was like, OK, so we're not going to do direct saw connections. But that means that we're setting up a lot of like an, uh, an entire new status quo, which means we have to like new learn these new characters. And it's just not going anywhere all that interesting. Like that was the issue. So it's like, OK. Was... it's it's stuck in this dilemma of like who's this movie for you know because if you're coming into it as a saw fan you're going to be let down if you if you are not caught up on saw but you just want to see a fun police thriller it doesn't work yeah it's just sort of a saw film without a home yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah this was disappointing honestly like i was i was looking forward to this one as far as all the things we mentioned and they just one by one just did not deliver like <laughs> Now, the last kill is the sort of most politically poignant one, right? Because the so without getting into the the mechanics of it, the the trap involves Samuel L. Jackson being hoisted up in a way that resembles someone who's holding a gun. And the SWAT team comes in and mistakes him for being an armed assailant and Uh they shoot him. And so there's a very um, obvious allusion to images of cops killing a essentially an unarmed black man right sort of hands up don't shoot um so there's that but would you agree with me that the ending is so abrupt and rushed that i don't think the film even had the i don't know if it didn't have the the confidence to stick with it or what but it just sort of threw this very 
politically provocative image out there only to just abandon it right away i think i, I, I think it lucked into the image honestly like i, I think it, it i think it could have they could have cast anyone in that role and that's what they were going for they just happened to have sam jackson like it, it seems like race is so far away from the mind of the people that wrote this movie into rain like beyond because even rock doesn't have anything to say about it like that like i you could pick you could picture him in a saw movie saying like i can't believe a black man's caught up in something like this and yet that none of that happens in this film and it's really confusing to me it's confusing that you have chris rock sam jackson marisol nichols and max Minella, all people of color in this movie uh-huh. and there's no reference to race whatsoever i i don't understand what that choice is supposed to be it, yeah. it, it doesn't make sense to me in, in a film that's going after the top it's going after wait so so are you suggesting that there could have been some version of this in which, you know, kind of generic white character and his white father, let's say Brian Cox, was uh, <laughs> was uh, the, the dad and he would have died the same way? I think based on the story they're trying to tell, yes. I, I think they, that's the, the goal that they had in mind was to get this get this guy murdered because he was standing there in what seems to be the scenario that they're in. And that's what issued them. I don't know if I agree. I don't mean to sound like I'm defending the film, but I think the film is pretty race conscious and it would have had to have been if Chris Rock was involved from the from the get go, for one thing. So a couple of things. It's, okay, is, it's, let me, let me say, it's not I don't I do. I would I could say, yes, it's probably conscious to a degree, but it feels like in the same way. I don't know, like an issue I had with it. Chapter one was the the bullies that go after everyone they go after all of those all the kid all the losers club for the things that about them that make them who they are right and they call it the jew the jew and all that and they and they have the black kid that's a film where despite them being like racist towards the black kid it was still a movie that was rated r that had all this other stuff going on where they avoided using the n-word and so it's just like it just feels gun shy about going that far with it like it has it there present and it might understand that this is a thing, but it doesn't feel like it wants to do anything all that extreme about it, despite having the ability to. Yeah, well, there's nothing intelligent going on under the hood here, that's for sure. But it did seem as abrupt and I think poorly executed as, uh, no pun intended, uh, as, as the ending is. I think it's the one thing that seemed actually thematically consistent with what this project was purporting to do, because... The whole thing is about police brutality and police corruption and like rooting out dirty cops, right? And one of the key sort of images in our cultural iconography of what police brutality brutality looks like is of uh, uh, cops bursting in and gunning down someone who uh, a black man who doesn't actually have a weapon due to some instantaneous misunderstanding. So, like the fact that that is essentially the closing image of the film. In a, in a film that's already kind of concerned with what here is what police brutality looks like. That seemed very, a bit on the nose, but also consistent. Right? And so I, I, I appreciated, like, okay, now you're actually going someplace with this. But that comes in time for the film to just kind of rush to credits. That that seemed to me I, just poor planning. I, 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 as far as that imagery goes, yes, that's the, that is there. I can't, I'm not denying that you can't read that that way. But I like you pointed like I can't think of any other point in this film where it felt like it was explicitly going after the idea of cops not only being corrupt, but but doing corrupt things based off the targets they're going after. 
And, but what I did get throughout this film were the things you mentioned earlier. Also, the cop cliches, the rogue cop doing the things or whatnot. I've seen so many action movies ending on a guy with a gun in his hand, regardless of who he is, being gunned down because it seemed like that was the right guy to shoot down. It, regardless of like what what person was the, in fact holding the weapon or whatnot. So it felt more like we're doing that cliche thing as opposed to we're doing this very specific thing to evoke a certain kind of imagery. Yeah, and I mean, e even if I was willing to really stand by this interpretation, <laughs> um, it, it, it still doesn't change the fact that this was done in a really bad way. So Fair, yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, it's just because I, I feel like if the film wanted me to show me that, it would have shown me that fairly consistently i just i don't see other instances throughout the film and then darren lynn bousman was like oh this is fun like what if i did this at the end like i just that it doesn't seem like that clicked together for him as far as getting a message across <laughs> maybe he did for rock maybe that maybe he had that all along but i just the the film presented to me doesn't show me that that thought process going on i'm happy to take that away from it and use that as an example and you know future causes or whatever but I don't know. It just the whole film just kind of fell apart so quickly for me as soon as they got rid of Max Minella for like a chunk of the movie. Yeah, what a bummer. Yeah. I mean, I did think even though having additional apprentices would, would be just a, a repetition of something, I, I did think that was the logical place it was going to go just because there's an implausibility to the traps like the first one hoisting someone up by their tongue like it, it it lends itself already toward the assumption that there's more than one person involved uh -huh. right and so i i don't know that i would have been satisfied with yet another hidden apprentice uh twist but that's just a, where i assumed it had to go because if it it's was... really just max Mengele, yeah whose whose plan makes no sense like where does he expect to escape to uh after the events of this film and yeah the only thing that I guess was unpredictable about him is that he he was the child who witnessed a, an act of police corruption early on, and that's why he's loyal to Chris Rock because Chris Rock turned in the cop who illegally murdered his father, and, when, has, and has continued to hold himself as a above board police officer. <clears throat> Although he he says he says I was 12 years old when that happened, right? Mm -hmm. And so what is he now? Late 20s, early 30s? Um, for the purposes of the film, yes. And I think Rock, Rock's playing younger also for the purpose of this film. Right. But this implies that Chris Rock has been continuously harassed for, what, 20 years straight for being a <laughs> snitch within his department? Yes. Get a transfer, dude. Yeah, I couldn't I could begin to comprehend how this logic works. Is like, this guy's terrible because he got rid of the bad one of us. And, I just, like, and, and you've just been hating him this long? And it's all coming to a head now? Yeah, it's a it, it's a lot to take to take in to try to make this seem reasonable. Now, Chris Rock's persona, I think, is fundamentally at odds with this because <clears throat> because he's he's already kind of a, a rebel comedian and um, irreverent in his style and delivery and things like that. And and you just can't have a, a, a film that invites us to take seriously the moral dimensions of good cop versus bad cop but also having as your pr protagonist a cop who is like the opening scene we see him he's going off book he's involved in some kind of uh undercover sting which homicide detectives as i understand it don't do <laughs> and he hasn't notified his department of anything like this i mean this he's a terrible cop he's an absolute corrupt uh cop who takes advantage of his badge to kind of go rogue and do his own thing this is not something that we should be celebrating especially given the timing of when this movie comes out you can't really make that your protagonist and have 
and at the same time have us take seriously issues of police corruption, which is clearly the sort of topical mojo that this film is trying to bank on. Which just makes it, it, it brings it back to what's what was the pitch that he had that the Lionsgate was just like, Rock has this great idea. Let's do this. Like, what was it? It's like, what if Jigsaw went after cops? It's like, well, he's done that before. Like, what what else do you have? Like, I don't know. Also, yeah, Daryl and Bozeman, is that his name? Yeah. And Benedict Arnold over here. I mean, he he did, what, two, three, and four? Yes. Is that two, three, his two, three, two, three, four, yeah. Those, that's a solid run. It is. That's a very solid run. And that's why it was a good sequence. That's why it was a good get to be like, oh, he's back. That's fun. That's like all this stuff seems to be coming together. But it just, it wasn't a... wonder what he was thinking. Anyway. Yeah. Well, this movie's currently playing in theaters. When should people go and see Spiral? <laughs> well, if you're a Saw completist and you've seen everything up to this point, then you're almost obligated to see it, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so go see. I mean, plus, if they make another one, like a better one down the line, there's always the very strong likelihood that the events of this film will be folded into the story somehow, because uh-huh. that's what the Saw films do. So I'd say if you don't already, if you're not already invested, then avoid it. But if you are, then definitely see it. But you've, you've been warned. I uh I mean for one thing Fast X is going to beat Saw X to theaters so it has that going for it but um yeah, good poster yeah it would be a good poster just like two femur bones or something crossed over each other um, oh, oh, oh wait so question is this is this Saw nine or can they still do a Saw nine and this is just sort of an in universe offshoot I think that's the kind of thing they'll decide on the day right so so it's not clear I mean. I think they're considering it. I think they're considering it the ninth film for like I. I don't think it will be called Spiral Two if they make another Spiral. I'll put it that way. I I, I mean the. I mean Jigsaw wasn't Saw Eight. They called it Jigsaw. Like it's <laughs> the naming conventions of these things at this point. Uh, it, I I think it's it's more it's more on the lines of what's the sequel gonna be and we go from there. And since this was like since the story for this one was not connected to the other Saw films, they're like okay, so we'll just call it Spiral. Will the next one of these be connected to their Chris Rock character? Probably, right? So they'll probably call it Spiral, you know, Legacy of Jigsaw or whatever the fuck. But like, it'll, it'll be it's, it 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 will be what it is until it needs to be another thing, right? And if anything, if they did another Saw movie, they'd probably just call it Saw, right? Just to, just it's just to uh, it's a full reboot. Just a not even a reboot, but just like. You know, like when they did Fast and Furious, it's the Fast. They just took out the articles. Oh, they're just <laughs> changing the articles. Yeah. yeah. Or like the Saw. Yeah. Or or like um like when the you know the um the um well there's the thing which is this all three you know they're all called the thing which is confusing despite like one of them being one thing one being a remake and one being a prequel. What's the other one though? That's like they're all named the Shaft. Shaft is the other. one. They're all sequels to each other and they're all called Shaft. It's like they'll just they'll just call it Saw again eventually because like who cares at that point right? Just the franchise loyalists they'll be like why do they call this one Saw? And, anyway, up, up up in arms about it we we won't be. Yeah exactly. Um, did you even say when people should see this movie? I mean you said Saw completists should see this movie right? That was basically your thing. Uh, yeah it, well if you, if you're in for a penny in for a pound. Yep, I'm sure Jigsaw said that too at one point. Some, uh, there's probably some trap somewhere. Yeah, there's a pound of flesh uh, gag somewhere in there, right? Is yeah. it Saw 7? Exactly. Saw 6? I think 2, actually, pound of flesh. And, uh, <laughs> I think they go back pretty far. So. <laughs> but, 
Well, there, there are these uh, individual traps, like you need to do whatever to mm -hmm. escape. And then there's the ones that are competition traps. Yeah. Where you're hooked up to some random person and you and there's a pound of flesh one involving yeah okay guy and a lady that's that's part six that's six for sure yeah because the hands get mussed up in that movie it's it's nasty uh, anyway this movie's bad and you should see it I guess if you're a soft fan but I don't think you need to race out to the theaters for it you can wait till it streams on some premium service or something and watch it then it's sorry yeah exactly <laughs> um, all right it's been a lot of talk about spiral from the book of saw what a subtitle but <laughs> the from the book of saw thing is very from funny book of saw. <laughs> yeah. but uh, okay let's um let's move on now let's get to our one last thing here which is our out now feedback 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 thank you this is where we go You're various, very welcome this is where i go over the various questions answered on our facebook page facebook.com slash out now podcast we ask a number of questions to the listeners and they give us some answers and that's what we're going to do here. So, uh, Mike, feel free to jump in whenever you have any thoughts. Sure. First question. Where what... is Abe, by the way? He you, had... tell that, you tell him I said hello. I will tell him you said hello. He wanted to be here. He, he was all excited. He hasn't seen he hasn't seen the Saw franchise. He was going to watch the first one and then watch this one. But, uh, unfortunately, he just couldn't. He had work. He couldn't make it today. All right. First question we have here. What's your favorite movie with Chris Rock? Todd writes, this is a tough one because I think his best outings are as simple, uh, sorry, as a supporting player rather than a lead. The films that jump out for me are New Jack City, I'm Gonna Get You Sucker, and Pootie Tang, which is so delightfully dumb I couldn't resist. Maxwell Haddad, friend of the show, writes top five. Chris has New Jack City and I'm Gonna Get You Ducks and Dolomite is my name. I think he meant I'm Gonna Get You Sucker and it corrected itself. <laughs> so yeah, you have a favorite Chris Rock movie or movie with Chris Rock? Uh, Nurse Betty was a good pull earlier. Yeah, I, I like Nurse Betty um, a lot. Um, I'm not sure how I'd feel about Dogma right now. I, I wonder if that holds up. I remember liking it at the time, but that's 20 years ago. I'm a big Dogma fan. I like Dogma yeah. quite a bit. I watched it pretty recently. Yeah, because I watched, um, whatever the hell. But I, 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 I watched uh, Dogma, uh, like, last year at some point. It's still, I mean, it makes me laugh a lot, I think. And I think it's got some good ideas on its head. Doesn't he voice like a gerbil or something in the Doctor Doolittle with Eddie Murphy? Yes, he does. <laughs> I kind of like Doctor Doolittle. I like the first Doctor. <laughs> Made me funny, yeah. yeah first a, one anyway. It does its job, like as far as what that goes. Is the I'm gonna get you sucker? Is that the one where he has the give me one rib? Yes. Buy a rib? <laughs> yes. <Okay. laughs> yeah. Which I think he kind of spins off into his like in loving color character also. Um, where he, he's a recurring character on that show where he goes like, they tell him the price of something and his thing is, good lord, that's a lot of money. And it's, just, it's just like cheap guy is his thing, I guess. I think, yeah, that's, that's all I can think of. I could do without any of the Adam Sandler um, collaborations. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. When it comes to Rock's movie, yeah, those are fat movies. Uh, next question. Are you a Saw movie fan and what's your favorite franchise entry? Chris writes, I love the simplicity of Saw and then Saw 2. Maxwell has the second is my favorite. I've heard a lot of this this week, actually, just looking at people's Saw rankings that they really like number two a lot. I know a friend of the show, Scott Mendelson's a big fan. He's Saw 6 is his favorite, but he's a big fan of Saw 2 as well. Uh, Mike, how about you? What's your favorite entry in the Saw series? It's hard to rank them because I think what fans tend to do is you rank them by traps, right? I think I mentioned this earlier. I don't think of them, but Saw 4, I think, has the best twist. I agree. Which, 
right? And the twist essentially is you're meant to believe everything going on in Saw 4 is subsequent to the events of Saw 3, but then switcheroo, you find out that it's occurring concurrently with Saw 3, and that I thought was great. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I haven't watched these in a while, but yeah, I, I agree. 4 did have the best twist for me. Um, I do I like... Think on, uh, mm-hmm. No, I said I think... I don't know if I would give it the top spot, but I think like your listeners, I think Saw 2 ranks pretty high, for sure. Yeah, it's in the upper tier on my the list that I've made. I, I, I think Saw 3 is the best one. I think it's the most character-focused, and I appreciate that. And then I think I like Saw 6 because of what it's trying to you know trying to say about something, which is, I thought, interesting. And it has some good traps, and Eddie Winslow's in it, so you know, it's got that going for it. Uh, all right, next one we have here. What's your favorite Saw movie trap, or death trap in general? Chris writes the reverse bear trap from the first Saw and a couple of the sequels, and the humble Saw, just the simple Saw from the first film. You have a favorite trap? Me? Yep. Uh, I think I mentioned earlier I love the pendulum from number five. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the drowning in the pig guts. That's that's just three. fun, like, right? <laughs> that's fun. I like the I like the needle pit that Amanda gets thrown into in uh, two. Part two, I like the uh, angel, angel wings trap, which uh, with which is with my beloved Dina Meyer. Yeah, a few others here and there. I like the Saw Two opening trap. That's the Venus fly trap, if I'm not mistaken, uh, mm-hmm. where the guy is like he has a key in his eye and he has to dig it out of his eye, and if he doesn't, this thing just closes on his head. <laughs> like that's so terrible. Yeah. Like, and all of these are terrible, but it's like that one got me. It's like okay. Because then it closes, right? And he's just like standing there for a second. He's like, and he falls down. <laughs> Credits. Saw two. Credits. <laughs> We're it's in. Inter- it's interesting. It's interesting that people mention the reverse bear trap because we don't actually get to see how it works until Saw Seven, right? So yeah, with um... both instances in which we see it, the the they escape it until yeah. we see put like on it, Kramer's wife. Like, yeah. yeah, it doesn't. They she she gets out the first time. It like kind of works the the second time we get it, and then the third time it just destroys the face completely. <laughs> it's like oh yeah, it does exactly what we figured it would do, and it's it's disgusting as you as I'd imagine. Oh, the other one I really like, even though it's a weaker film, Saw Seven has the woman who has been made to sw- uh, swallow fish hooks. Oh god, yeah. They need to pull them out on strings. That's that was. That one's pretty yummy. Yeah, Seven, despite being you know a terrible movie, does have some good traps in it. It has that uh, that car one also. That's a uh, oh yeah. Shout with, shout out to Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park's <laughs> Chad Harrington. <laughs> yeah, uh, R.I.P. Um, but it uh, mainly because that one ends spectacularly, where like three or four people die <laughs> on one like shot. But um. Anyway. Well, well, Jigsaw's rationale on that one's pretty great too. It says, like, "Hello, so and so. You and your friends are racists." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, next. It's a low bar. Yeah. I mean, don't be racist. I think it's the key there. Uh, next one. What random movies would be improved by Samuel L. Jackson? Jeff writes, a motherfucker does not motherfucking walk into motherfucking Mordor. So Lord of the Rings, I believe, is his answer there. Uh, Luke Thompson, friend of the show, has the Smurfs. Mark Pace's friend of the show, has Harry Potter. Protective spells, motherfucker. Can you cast it? And Ricardo has Toy Story. Any movies you think would be improved by Samuel L. Jackson? It sounds like the answer is anything. <laughs> right? I mean, if uh, uh, the, uh, the other assumption people are making is that this is like sweary Sam Jackson. Uh-huh. 
right? Like motherfucker Sam Jackson, in which case put him in anything. Put him in Schindler's List. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> just, you know, go for it. I think something like random that he would just like, why is he showing up in this? I can see him popping up in like a later John Wick movie, though, can't you? Just oh, as just, a bit of stunt casting. I just assume it will happen at some point. It'll be, yeah. they'll finally put Lawrence Fishburne and Sam Jackson on the same screen together and people, you know, white people across America will be confused. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Pleasantville. What if Sam Jackson just popped up in Pleasantville all of a sudden? And he was like, he was Jeff Daniels' brother. It's just at the he's at the diner one day and he walking Jeff Daniels looks over to Toby Maguire and he's like, Hey, you meet my brother? And it's Sam Jackson and Toby Maguire gives it a look. That'd be fun. I well I think he should make cameo appearances in everything, except every single time it has to be a post credit sequence. <laughs> talking about some initiative. Just he comes in and says, Oh, did you think we were finished? <laughs> All right, next question. What are some movies of very obvious symbolism? We got no answers for this one, honestly, which is what movies of very obvious symbolism The the go to answer I'd have is the rat in the departed. So we're talking specific scenes. No, just the, OK. The departed is my answer because of the giant rat at the end of that movie. <laughs> is there any movie that you think that offhand that you could think of that has like very obvious symbolism, like what is just trying to hammer into your head? Uh, well, I don't know. District nine is about apartheid. Um, is it? <laughs> Isn't it? I mean, they are giant squid monsters standing in for black people, which is pretty atrocious if you ask me, but uh, I don't know. All right. That's, a, that's an answer. It, yeah, is, yeah. It, it is very clear. Although it's a mad question. I mean, I, I, I still think District 9 was the better apartheid movie than the other one that came out in the same summer, Invictus. <laughs> oh, you, you weren't being funny. Apartheid is no laughing matter. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it, it was a better movie. Um, all right. Last question. What are some great corrupt cop movies? Jeff has The Professional. Chris has Training Day. Rosie has Infern Infernal Affairs every time. The original, not the crappy U.S. cover. So not a fan of The Departed. You know, the great corrupt cop movies. Corrupt cop movies. What about that French one from like a year ago? Le, Le Miserable, actually. That's an easy title to remember. Oh, that one. I like yeah, that okay. one. <laughs> there was another French movie that I saw like last year that had corrupt cops, and that's what I was trying to think of. Yeah, let, let me run. Rob. Yeah, that's a good one. His job. We'll, we'll never know how that ended. You know, kind of leaves you hanging. Anyway, that's out now. Feedback. 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 And with that, that's gonna that's gonna leave us at the end of the show here. So, with all that said, you can find more of my work at my personal blog, thecodezeke.com. Everything I can do ends up over there. I'm also writing reviews at Wheel of Entertainment and Wisebluecom. And, of course, on Variety still, you can find my interview with the stunt coordinator for Mortal Kombat. Um, learn all about the big fights in that film. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Mike Dillon, anything you want to plug? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch Underground Railroad soon, so I hope people should go watch that. I plug that because yeah, very yeah. elegant novel, and I trust Barry Jenkins. So uh, I'm watch that. I'm four into it, and you're right to trust Barry Jenkins, as you should be in general. So, Yeah. Well, with that said, you can find all the other episodes of Out Now with Aaron Name on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast, and instagram.com slash underscore podcast as well. Mike Dillon, thank you very much for joining me to discuss Spiral this week. Yeah, man. Is there some outro you want me to do in, in 
in Abe's absence. <laughs> we we could we could figure that out in a second, but <laughs> that is going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long and goodbye. And goodbye. Oh. <laughs> Everything I do, I be ten steps ahead. Ten. My youngin got them bodies, she's still pissing the bed. Man. Keep the code of silence, don't repeat what I said. 21. Keep out of baloney, I just came for the bread. Oh, My hood known for wildin' and I don't promote the violence. I done been through all the trials and tribulations, now I'm smiling. Say you wanna smoke, we at the table doing the plot and we gon' slide. Wet your shit up, make it home for you a siren. I'ma let them spin like a spiral. Straight up. I don't got no love for no rival. Straight up. Put him on the news, he went viral. I took a number two with my rifle. Every car I mean, I got the title. Slaughter gang, I turn a model to a hiker. I know they want me dead, I got a Keltec in this Viper. I hit all the vibes on the low, cause I'm a sniper. Even want no problems in this obvious. Call me soft, cause I laugh when I bite shit. We play hot potato with the ops, we be dropping shit. Giving out free smoke, cause we got a lot of it. Trying to feed the fam, I was trapping in the cold. Drop the mixtape, turned around, I was on the road. You can't give me no amount of money for my soul. He wasn't really no robber, he got killed cause he won his road. Matt 90 poking out my goal yard. Let's play some of the trailer for Spiral. Dun dun dun, dun dun dun, dun dun dun. Hello. I was saying the jigsaw voice, it's hello, I want to play a game. No, no, it's like Kermit the Frog. Yeah. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hi ho. <laughs> Hey, it's me, uh, Jigsaw. <laughs> it's me. <laughs>